Hey everyone, welcome back to Smoke Signals. This is going to be part two of the look back at the early 2000s Indians podcast with myself, Justin Latta, and Chris Kuhn, um, my college friend from WZIP Akron, University of Akron Radio, and uh, former Indians reporter for WKNR. Um, just taking a look at the Indians from the 2002 to 2008 stretch. Uh, if you didn't listen to part one, go back. That was pretty much part. 2002 to 2005, and then this episode will be 2006 to 2008 with some uh, memories after 2008 kind of thrown in there at the same time. So it's not a long one, but if you enjoyed the stretch of baseball in the Indians or you just don't really hear anybody talk about it as much, um, hope you really enjoy it, and thanks for, for listening. Everybody stay safe. And we're back for part two of the look back at the Indians. Uh, I don't know, last good stretch of baseball. I don't know how good it was, but it was that strange era between nineties and the, the Terry Francona era after the lost years of 2009, 2012, where uh, we just won't talk about it because they were awful. And there was no <laughs> reason to do about podcasts on those years, but the Indians had plenty of talent, 04 and 08, a lot of interesting players and a lot of things that ended up setting the table for, the next couple of years as well. Uh, Chris Coon joins me again. Chris, for, thanks for coming back for, for part two of this podcast. I knew after part one, we would have to, to split these up. Yeah, unfortunately, I knew that would probably be the case. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but, you know. <laughs> I'm fine thanks for having me on again. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming back. For If anybody didn't listen to, to part one, we made it through. Oh, we ended up talking about 02 and 03 and then 04 through 06. Uh, of this stretch. Um, Chris was a, a college buddy of mine. We worked at WZIP together and he worked at WKNR for a number of years covering the Indians. Um, during that, a business stretch that we're not going to talk about, actually. <laughs> we were both, yeah, talked about last podcast. We were both teenagers dur- during the stretch and uh, just both big fans of the Indians and, and prospects in this whole stretch of baseball that we both feel like probably doesn't get talked about enough because it's it's stuck in that weird hole between the 90s and the digital age. So we left off with the 06 Indians that uh, we were talking about the Brandon Phillips trade and all those weird things they did. So 05 was, you know, was a really good year. They just came up a little bit short. They lacked some hitting at the end of the year. And then they went out and they traded Coco Crisp, uh, who was a big 05 contributor for along with Josh Bard, David Risky for Andy Marte, rest in peace, Andy, uh, Guillermo Moda, who was God awful and Kelly Shopik, who was pretty good. And then they dumped Arthur Rhodes. Actually, I think the Arthur Rhodes trade might've been in the middle of the season. So that may have not mattered, but yeah, Phillips was gone. They tried to sign, they signed Paul Burr. They signed Jason Johnson. That was not a great signing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember that guy. It was a good, like, two months. They signed Danny Graves and Steve Carsey, trying to go back to the well of two relief prospects they had. Um, none of that worked. The offense wasn't very consistent as it was in 05, and um, trading David Risk ended up being a bad move, and the bullpen just wasn't as good in 06. I mean, there's just so many things that I feel like, and I was talking about the Brandon Phillips trade, there's just so many things I think that went right in 05, 
and they kind of like undid a lot of good things they did in 05. Yeah, definitely. So that Arthur Rhodes trade is what netted you, uh, uh, which netted the Indians, Jason Michaels. Mm -hmm. So we all remember Jason Michaels and the platoon outfield of him and Dave DeLucci. So that's, that's what you got in return. (laughs) That was, yeah. What a bad trade. Arthur Rhodes was so good for them and they went out and dumped him for Jason Michaels. Did that, okay. Did the Arthur Rhodes trade come in the winter? Did it come in mid season when they were like struggling and they were like, all right, screw this. Um, I thought it was off season. I just closed out of Arthur Rhodes baseball reference page. Let me, I, I thought it was in the off season. Cause I don't remember Jason Michaels like coming Yeah. December 11, 2004. So it was in the, or January 27, 2006. So I, I'm sorry. So yeah, off season, that's when they got Jason Michaels. I remember them kind of like making a big stink about Jason Michaels and Ugh. what he could contribute out in the outfield with Grady Sizemore. And he just like, he was just a guy. I mean, you know, he just wasn't, he didn't do anything for me. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, personally, he, he, and he just, he frustrated me a lot yeah. <laughs> more than he did anything. Yeah. To be fair, Arthur Rhodes was pretty bad. in 06 for the Phillies. He had a five ERA and 45 games. So he wasn't that great. He walked a ton of dudes, um, but they, they just didn't replace. Like they tried to replace him with Guillermo Moda. So like Pyro got out. Okay, Arthur Rhodes was thirty five. So yeah, you you couldn't. He did the right thing and trying to move on from him before, I think Rhodes hit the hit the wall and he kind of did that year. So that made sense. But Ugh, and Moda was was horrible. I'm not going to look and at the page. He was just flat. I think his ERA was well over five. Six point two one. He pitched uh-huh. in thirty thirty four games. He had thirty seven and two thirds innings pitched. I mean, just yeah. It was not great, and that bullpen was just horrendous. That's that's the bullpen era where they tried to make Jason Davis uh, a reliever, and surprisingly enough, he, he and Betancourt had some of the better numbers in that bullpen, which is kind of – I don't remember that really. I remember Betancourt being solid, but I don't remember Jason Davis really doing much that year. Um, I thought – I know he had pitched in 07, but it was like briefly. I thought – he was kind of still working on starting pitching at that point in, in 06. But I have to yeah, say, I, we talked about Jason Davis a lot last podcast, and then we're starting off here. I was a Jason Davis fan. I was a believer. You were you? See, I was not. You know, I just – big dude who could throw fast, and that was it. And I would always, like, just be perplexed as to, like – what does everybody see in this guy? I mean, <laughs> there's nothing here, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, you know, 15-year-old Chris at this point thinks he's a scout, but yeah. <laughs> but that offensively, too. I mean, they just weren't all that great offensively. It was, you know, it was Travis Hafner and Sizemore, and that was about it. Um, ben Broussard, he wasn't bad that year, but he also only played in 88 games. I mean, so... You know, he played pretty much half the season. Um, I, I, I don't know. Were you ever a Ben Broussard fan? I, I was not. He was just, fine. Like he wasn't. I don't know. I wasn't really attached to him as as a fan or or as a, a guy where I was like, yeah, this is the guy. I mean, he was twenty nine that year. They obviously traded him, but he, I like he was a serviceable platoon first baseman. Remember that that was the year they had the platoon of Broussard and Eduardo Perez, and they traded ended up trading him both to Seattle at different times. 
And that's the from same year. Yeah. And Yeah. 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 Why did yeah, that was both halves of those of that platoon? Why do they want both of them? Maybe yeah. Well, I guess Perez could offer you some some help in the outfield because he also played outfield, but like yeah, I mean you yeah, you traded you traded Sensu Chu away and then you traded Cabrera. Obviously we know who who won on that side of the deal. I mean, you, you got two all-stars in, in return. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never, and you know, I, I never thought of that. Like, yeah, you got the Indians pl- first base platoon. Why did you want that? <laughs> like three weeks. It was like three weeks apart. It was very yeah. close. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. And then they had to trade Ronnie Belliard, who was, was still having like an okay year, but yeah, Peralta took a step back for some reason. They were still hanging on to Aaron Boone and, he played a hundred games and he was terrible. And yeah, Jason so, Michaels was awful. That see, then that's, that's something that I don't understand at that point. So they're still hanging on to Aaron Boone at that point. The season's going down the toilet, right? You traded for Andy Marte. You know, he's that third baseman of the future at that point. I mean, and Andy did end up playing 50 games that year, but I mean, you know, why don't you just anoint him? that position then at that point when the season starts getting to the point where it's just like the point of no return, you know, I mean, well, they obviously had a, we just team option on, on Boone for 07, which they declined, but yeah, like I'm not sure why they went through the well, show. And obviously, and obviously we went into that long rant about how, <laughs> you know, Brandon Phillips was rushed and this and that. And I guess you could probably make the argument that maybe Andy Marte may have been, it may have happened to him as well, but I think at the end of the day, Andy Marte just, he just wasn't what we thought he was going to be. I mean, I remember when he was in the brave system, he was uh, the defensive potential gold glove winner and offensively, you know, he's going to be like an Adrian Beltre type guy. And just, it never, it never came together. Wasn't he dabbling with, with, with pitching for a while too. I wanted to say, I think you're referring to the relief appearance he had in 09 and a blowout. <laughs> I, no, I, I thought at some point, and I looked it up, but I couldn't find it, but I thought he was like considering dabbling and pitching at some point, but maybe I'm, I'm losing. Maybe I'm just losing it, you know, but I do remember him coming in relief at that one point. Yeah. He was the number, <laughs> he was the 14th overall prospect in baseball that year in 06 by baseball. Yeah. Baseball. Yeah. He was, he was a bit highly regarded prospect and that, that was the big key to the trade was getting the third baseman in the future, but they gave up Coco crisp because they were ready for, they, they settled on using Jason Michaels in left field. They didn't have David Lucci now six. So it was just Jason Michaels trying to hold that yeah. field by himself. Well, and they, I mean, and Coco crisp wasn't the only person they sent over. They sent rescue over that year and Josh Bard, right. and Josh Bard and Josh Bard ended up becoming Tim Wakefield's um, catcher. At that point, you remember he couldn't ca- he couldn't catch the the knuckleball. <laughs> yeah, so they, being they, a lot of- they rushed Doug Marabelli back. They traded Doug Marabelli because he left. And they had to bring from the pod. He left for the Padres, and they yeah they brought him. They had to bring him back because he could catch he could catch for Tim Wakefield. Yeah, do you remember, remember that? Practical though, they he flew to catch when they traded for him. He flew to Boston to catch Wakefield's next start. They had a police escort take him to the, to the stadium that they rushed him through. Wow. I don't remember that, but I do remember, I do remember the big stink of like Josh Bard can't like, there was so many, so many pass balls because he could not catch the knuckleball on, 
I mean, yeah, I, I remember that distinctly. But yeah, I mean, I remember the time of the deal. I remember thinking like, oh, no big deal. You know, Cocoa Crisp, I'm willing I'm willing to give up Cocoa Crisp for Andy Marte because Andy Marte is going to be the, you know, the next Brooks Robinson. You know what I mean? Like, I, I firmly believed that at that point. And I remember coming up at kind kind of too, like thinking like, you know, well, he's a top prospect for the Red Sox. You know, this is once again, me, Chris Coon thinking he's a, he's a scout at this point and knowing all these young dudes and holding so much stock in these guys and thinking like, heck yeah, like we're, we're getting these young guys and, and they're highly touted prospects. And, you know, Mark Shapiro is doing Mark Shapiro things where he's trading away (laughs) for another team's top prospects. And hopefully it translate like, it, it's doing for you know Cliff Lee and Grady Sizemore, and obviously that never turned out the way we wanted it. Yeah, that was absolutely brutal. I I was with you. I remember trying to convince all my friends that Andy Marte was definitely the next coming uh, at third base, and I was pretty high on Shopik. I think that trade, looking back, really made made it obvious that like when you trade, okay, so Marte would, when Shopik were like top ten prospects for the Red Sox realizing that just because this guy is like a top like one, two, three or four or five prospect for an individual team doesn't mean he's a great prospect overall because other teams have way better prospects. Like it made me think like the number one for this team is not the same number one for every other team because some teams yeah. really know how to draft and some teams didn't. And the Indians, well, the Indians couldn't draft. They thought they could trade, but this trade obviously one bunk for both of them. Chris, I think Chris was like, okay for the Red Sox, but he wasn't special. He was an Oh five Chris, but yeah, I think you could probably say they probably won the trade. I mean, Shopik Shopik did have a, you know, a, a solid year or two, but I, I would, I would think, you know, Chris, you could probably argue Chris probably ended up being the, the determining factor of who won the trade. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing too. You, you bring that up. Like that's kind of the point where I, ended up realizing too, like some systems are deeper in talent than others. And, you know, really that Boston farm system wasn't bad though. You know, I mean, that was the, that was the era where Ellsbury was coming up. Pedroia was coming up. Lester was coming up. Pablobon, like that, that farm system was highly thought of and they ended up contributing in that 07 season, which ended up hurting the Indians. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, you know, to win that that next World Series for them. I mean, so you know, they did trade, you know, a guy to a system where it was highly thought of and it was deep with with, with talent. I mean, you know, you look at that Paul Tuckett team. I have an old poster from '05, and it has the Paul Tuckett, uh, you know, team photo. It's at my mom and dad's, and I always look at it when I go there. And it has Pedroia on there, Pavelbon, Lester, Shopik. And I always just laugh because, like, there's a lot of talent on that AAA team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it, 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 was, it was, you know, on paper, it looked like it was probably going to be a good deal for the Indians if those guys panned out. But it, it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, so things just were not good. They were 13 and 12 in April. That was, you know, good April. They didn't have a really good April under wedge most years. Um, they didn't have a good one in 05. They did have a good one in 07. That was the only time. But they went 9 and 17 in, in uh, June. So I think that, and then 10 and 16 in July. That's what sank them overall. The offense just wasn't as consistent. And then Hafner got hurt. Uh, he had 42 home runs in 129 games. And then he played one game in August. So he was, he had 42 home runs from April to July. 
played one game in August. And then I can't remember if that was the year that Burley, it was either, it was Burley because Burley hit him twice. It was either they broke his hand or he got hit in the face and had a concussion. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of remember that too. And I can't figure out or remember like what year exactly that was, but I remember this is kind of when Travis Hafner was kind of coming in and people were starting to realize like, yo, this is Travis, you know, Travis Hafner is that guy too, you know, outside of Grady Sizemore where that's when like Pronkville became a thing. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. they really, they really were pushing that too. And, you know, he was becoming a legitimate power hitter and being, you know, he already was obviously in Cleveland, but, you know, throughout major league baseball, he was being recognized as that guy too. Um, But that was also the year where I thought like, all right, Foster Carmona, he's coming up. He's the next big Uh, thing for the Indians. And it just (laughs) did not, did not work out the way I was hoping. I remember just being very upset over the fact that like, He's not that good. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, because remember, in 03 is when everybody started hearing about him. He was mowing hitters down in Lake County. That was the first year the captains were playing in Lake County, and he was mowing guys down. Everyone was talking him up, and you're right. He came up in, in 06, and they weren't really sure what to do with him, and he was a big reason why they stunk in June and July. And, yeah, uh, that him in the bullpen was a bad idea. I mean, it was – it was it was bad. I remember what was it Boston series? I think he had a stretch of like three games where he just blew games consecutively, and it was. I remember like it was a big thing. Like I remember thinking like, you know, this is gonna this is gonna really mess him up. Like, you know, how is he gonna bounce back from it? But obviously, he ended up doing so the following year, which we'll obviously get into. But yeah, one year anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just. I remember watching those games and I remember my friends were like, why are you watching this again? Like he's going to do what he did last night. And then he did like he allowed July 30th. He allows four runs in an inning pitched, gets the loss July 31st, three runs gets one out blown, save and a loss August 2nd, two runs gets two outs blown, save and a loss August 5th, <sighs> inning, two runs and another loss. And I, remember, I think it was like after the trade deadline, it was, it was August 2nd and I was watching, I think my friend was like, yeah, why are you watching this? Like, he's going to do the same thing he did the last three times. And he did, he just came out and came in and got destroyed. Well, cause at that point too, you know, you had already traded away Wickman. So you didn't have a closer. So you're going to throw him in here, see how he reacts. Maybe he is the closer. Uh, you know, like you said, I think everybody still viewed him as more of a starting pitcher because that's the way I remember viewing him and kind of thinking, like, why are they throwing him in as a clo- as a closer now? I mean, it just doesn't make sense when you have, you know, other guys. Now that you know, you know, me being around baseball more, you know that guys in the bullpen obviously have ro- roles and, and it's, it's, it's not as easy as a video game where you just move guys into that, ro- <laughs> into that role. But, you know, I remember thinking back then, like, you know, why is he – he's projected as a starter. Why is he going in as a closer? And yeah, it obviously some guys are made for closing and some guys aren't. And Fausto or Roberto Hernandez was not. Yeah. That pitching, that pitching staff overall was terrible. Actually. I don't remember Paul bird actually pitching for them in 06 for some reason. I remember him in 07, but I, I don't need. Yeah. Same. I, I thought the same thing when I looked at that. Yeah. Yeah, but he was there in 06, and that was the uh, 06 was the Jeremy Sowers. Uh, uh, 
I was big on sours. <laughs> I, I was a, I was a big sours guy too. I for sure was ready. What a mirage that was, man. If, if you would have told me now, like, look at this 35 strikeouts, 20 walks and 88 innings. Like, yeah, no wonder he didn't do well look next at, year. It's, that three, five, seven ERA was a mirage. Look at his FIP. It, I mean, it is ooh. almost five. Yeah. It's a point higher than his ERA. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. Dixon Johnson there for a bunch of starts. He was terrible. Like, ugh. That pitching staff was was not good. And it, it came off of 05 where pitch, the pitching staff was was great. You know, they didn't sign, didn't re-sign Kevin Millwood, which we knew was going to happen. But Kevin Millwood went to Texas, and he was terrible there. And and But the rest of the bullpen was, was crap, too. Like, Fernando Cabrera was good in 05 for a little bit, and then he wasn't good in 06. And then we said Moda was was terrible. But then you have all these other random dudes like Brian Sikorsky and, and Brian Slocum and Tom Mastin. Like, they were – and Danny Graves and, and Scott Sauerbeck was terrible that year. Like, they were just throwing anybody they had in there to try to figure out if any of these dudes could figure it out. And they just were all terrible, which was the exact opposite of 05, which, like you said, that was the – the start of okay bullpens are not good every year no matter if they have the same guys or not yeah that's kind of when i started realizing like the volatility of a, of a bullpen is it, it's you need to judge a bullpen year to year and at that like next season it's a new it's a whole new slate it doesn't translate and we learned in 08 and obviously we ended up learning that again you know after that later on in in, in our years <laughs> of watching baseball yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think we said all we needed to say about 2006. Just I know I really wanted to get into the Roberto Hernandez Foster Carmona meltdown because that was yeah that was huge because I remember you know like I said I just remember that stretch it was a stretch of bad play and it's remarkable that he was able to bounce back the following season and you know be in contention for the Cy Young. Uh, I mean he really. He held it down that year with with CC, and you could argue that he was a big factor in in their success. Oh yeah, without him, they don't win the division. There's no doubt. And and remember, he didn't, in 07, you know, as we transitioned to 07 here, he wasn't even on the roster to start the year. I think he was filling in. Like, was it Cliff Lee? I think had an injury in spring training. Like, a, was like an oblique issue. Yeah, and that was the and then Cliff Lee, that was the Cliff Lee period where it would have been nice to have 08 version of Cliff Lee because 07 Cliff Lee, you remember the meltdown? He walked off the mound. They took him out. He threw his glove. People were booing him. He got demoted. It was, it was not good. <laughs> yeah. I want to say, I think, okay. So I think Fosto started the year in the rotation for Cliff Lee because he was hurt in spring training. And then he came back and then was like, okay, well, Fosto has been pitching really well. What do we do? And they were like, they were like, well, we'll just have to send him down. And then Westbrook got hurt, I think, for a stretch. And then, okay, so Fosto stayed because they had another guy they had to replace. And then Westbrook came back, and it was like, okay, well, we can't send Fosto down now. He's one of our best pitchers. And then that's where things really took off, I think. They just had a couple guys that were hurt. And then I think they also started the year with Sowers in the rotation, too. And then, obviously, they realized that that was obviously not going to work. He had a six six ERA through sixty seven innings. I'm not sure why they even went that long with him. He had almost as many walks as strikeouts that year. Wow. So I think just you know the fact that Jeremy Sowers was a top prospect and they had a lot invested in him. I think that's probably maybe the reason why they stuck with him a little longer than you would like. But 
man, he he did not translate the next year, that 07 year like he did in 06. Yeah, I'm well, we said in 06, obviously, like, the number, if you look back at the numbers, it was pretty obvious that what he was doing was not going to be sustainable. And, but we didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Like, like I said, I, I thought for sure, like, Oh wow, he was seven and four. And I was like, he's, he's going to be one of our mainstays in the rotation for the next couple of years, because, you know, we all thought records and ERAs were things that held up long-term and obviously 35 strikeouts and 20 walks was not something that was going to hold up long-term, but <laughs> That was well. That was that was the Aaron Laffey year too, right? The beginning of Aaron Laffey. I mean, well, he replaced Cliff Lee after Cliff Lee had that meltdown you talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, that was kind of like the time too where you were like, got to have a lefty in the rotation. Yeah. No, you just got to have the your best five guys I, out there. Not a lefty, people still you know? say this. Like this is not even a a timestamp thing. I, it's it's outdated thinking, but like I hear this every year. Like. After the innings had TJ House in 2015, everyone's like, "Gotta have a lefty." It's like, no, you need to have five good pitchers. Who gives a crap what side they throw with? Like, people still think this way. Um, also, that's a 90, 90s baseball way of thinking, in my opinion. That's probably even outdated in the 90s. I, I mean, I don't think every team in the 90s. I don't think the 90s Indians even had many lefties. Like, do they have a lefty until Chuck Finley? I think Chuck Finley might have might have been like the first lefty. I mean, in that playoff run era for the Indians because I can't think of anyone really unless we're forgetting about someone I mean was Ken Hill a lefty no (laughs) yeah okay I don't understand I mean I can't can't remember the only lefty I remember in the 90s is Paul Ossemacher well Brian Anderson I guess but Uh, Brian Anderson was he was there out of the pen yeah he was back and forth I mean I I remember like all their lefty I remember you know Alan Embry and Jim Poole and and Austin Mocker, but I don't remember like any of those guys starting for them. So I, I couldn't no. see one. Um, 07 was also the, okay. So that was the, the Josh Barfield trade for Kevin Kuzminov, which obviously we talked about was a mess because they screwed things up a year before with uh, Brandon Phillips. They signed well, Aaron Fultz and they signed the original Roberto Hernandez to pitch in the bullpen. They signed Joe Ronowski. They signed David DeLucci. They signed Keith Folk, who never made it out of spring training that year. And they also signed yeah. Todd Nixon. Well, and coming into that 07 season, here again, I'll bring it up, prospect guy. I'm thinking Josh Barfield. He had a he was a top prospect for the Padres. He, you know, he he was I think he finished second that his rookie year with the Padres in 06 for rookie of the year. He had a solid year that year. And so they make that trade for Barfield in 07. And I'm thinking, once again. Nice, young, up-and-coming guy, going to play second base, just the guy we need. And it really didn't work out all that well. Yeah, I think you ended up getting half of Barfield that season because Cabrera ended up coming in that season and kind of taking over that second base position once the season, um, you know, once the season was getting deeper and, and, and close to the playoffs. Yeah, he Cabrera played 45 games, so then they stuck it out 130 with Barfield. Because obviously they had, like you said, they had stuff invested in him, and they thought he was going to be a really nice piece. And and yeah, he was pretty awful. They moved, oh, they moved Casey Blake back to third base because they finally just realized that they couldn't keep going with Aaron Boone, how bad he was. That's why they signed Trot Nixon. And I said this on Twitter the other night too because I was watching the '03 ALCS when Boone hit the walk off, and I'm thinking because we were talking about '05 on the first podcast, and I was like. 
man, how good would it have been if the Indians didn't waste time and money on Aaron Boone, left Casey Blake a third, and then went out at the trade deadline and and added an outfielder? Like, I even went back last night. I started looking at the 05 trade deadline. Like, there were some outfielders that got moved that could have helped them, like Preston Wilson, Randy Wynn. Like, there were some names that got moved that that July that really would have helped the outfield, but 05 that, down the stretch – but they were committed to Aaron Boone and and at third base, and then stuck Casey Blake in right field, and they finally gave up on that experiment. But then they, then they signed David Alucci and Trot Nixon, which Nixon had an impact. I mean, off the field, not really much on the field, but yeah, yeah, he was yeah yeah. I think he was that clubhouse veteran kind of guy. He was the pie guy. That. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know, yeah. I mean, and think about that. Those teams with the playoff runs, they always have you know those certain sort of guys that kind of hold it together. You could argue, you know, Giambi and 13, mm-hmm. you know, he was that guy. He was that veteran presence, you know, uh, Napoli, uh, you know, and 16. I mean, you know, those were guys that were very important. Obviously Napoli had a big, you know, he contributed a lot that season too, uh, you know, compared to what Nixon and Giambi did, but, you know, though, you know, there's something to say with playoff teams and, and, and veteran players and, you know, kind of being the team leader and holding, being the glue of the team. Um, Cause you know, think about it. Trot Nixon's coming from Boston. He knows what it's like to play in the postseason. The, you look at this lineup, nobody in, nobody here in that lineup had ever even sniffed the playoffs before, you know, obviously with Oh five, but I mean, they had never played in the playoffs. Um, Barfield had playoff experience in Oh six, but I mean, you know, he's a young guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, you end up going and trading for, uh, you know, Kenny Lofton. And I think that kind of was that, that was the biggest piece that they, you know, they went for in that season. And you could argue it's probably because they didn't have much, have that many prospects in their system to trade for guys bigger than Kenny Lofton. I mean, I remember thinking too, Max Ramirez, cause that's who, you know, they traded for Kenny Lofton thinking Max Ramirez was probably going to be that guy. And, you know, you thought Victor Martinez probably going to eventually move over maybe to a posi- another position outside of catching and you're going to have Max Ramirez. But then when they traded Max Ramirez for Kenny Lofton, obviously it being Kenny Lofton, I, I, I didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody did. I remember I was working, I forgot, I was working at a grocery store and this is before Twitter and before I think I think I I don't think I had a Facebook. I I forget. It must have been like a notification from ESPN. Like you really didn't even have internet on your phone that much. And I yeah, this would have been MySpace. Yeah, my, I saw it in MySpace. I was a few months away from getting a Facebook because I graduated high school in '07. Okay. I didn't get I didn't get a uh, Facebook until I went to college because back then you had to have a college. It was college only. Yeah, I forgot. Someone must have texted me. And I, I was at work and. Someone said, we got Kenny Lofton. And I remember just like freaking out. Like I was like, wow, we got Kenny Lofton's back. That's, that's really exciting. And, you know, we needed an outfielder because David Delucci was miserable and Jason Michaels wasn't really good. And Trotnix and wasn't really doing much on the field. And I, I thought it was a good trade at the time. And it was, you know, Kenny Lofton it was. was solid for them, but you're right. Like they needed a better bat than Kenny. They, it should have been Kenny Lofton. And like, they probably needed two of those guys and they couldn't get the other one. And, because like you said, their their top prospects were Adam Miller, who was already having the finger issues, and then it was Trevor Crow and and at sixty four in Baseball America that year, which obviously they should have traded him, but I don't know if anybody even wanted him. 
And then there's Brian Barton, which I don't even remember Brian. I remember Brian Barton as a prospect being a captain and he ended up going in the rule five draft a year later or something like that. But I don't remember him being so good that he was a top hundred prospect. That that was what I thought was weird about looking at that. I thought Brian Barton wasn't even drafted. I thought he was an undrafted, undrafted free agent for for the Indians. Wasn't Barton like gonna be in like aerospace, aeronautics, or something? Oh, wow, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, and that's why he didn't get drafted and. He went to the University of Miami. They ended up trading him to the Cardinals, didn't they? That, well, he was he was picked in Rule Five by the Cardinals. Oh, that's right, that's right, right. Hector Luna got traded. Yeah, by the Cardinals, he was, though. Also, Barton was a 38th round pick by the Dodgers. I don't even know how the Indians ended up with with Brian Barton. To be honest, he was a uh, signed by the Indians in 05. So how did he wind up with the Dodgers if he was drafted by the Dodgers or the or the? I think he was an undrafted, or they picked him up as a free agent. Maybe, maybe. So he obviously he was amateur free agent. No five, yeah. Okay, so he was he was drafted, so he wasn't an undrafted free agent. But he was a free agent that December after the 07 season. The Cardinals took him off rule five from the Indians, and he really didn't play. He only played two seasons, but yeah, I just I mean I remember watching him in Lake County, and I'm like, looking back, I'm like he was really a top 100 prospect in Baseball America. Like, I don't remember him being that great. Like he had a, he had stats, I, but he was 24. And he was playing in low A. Like, of course, you're going to have nice stats in low A at 24 years old. Yeah, you're playing against guys that are 19, 20 years old. And, I, yeah, I'm with you, too. I don't really remember him being like – I remember him being a top prospect for the Indians. I just don't remember him being a top prospect for Baseball America. Uh, so that when you said that, too, that kind of was a little head-scratching because I don't remember that. Obviously, Trevor Crow. usually if you're a first-round guy and you're drafted like within the first – one or two years of your career, you're going to be up there, you know, in top prospect, you know, echelon, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, if you're a first rounder, but man, they could have needed it. They could have used another bat. And, yeah, you know, disappointing. I, I don't understand why they didn't re-sign Kenny Lofton the following year. I granted, I get it. He was 40, but it seemed to me, he still had some, something left in the tank. You know what I mean? Like I didn't think he, you know, I didn't think that his season was really over. You know, his, his, his career was really over after that season. Like, I thought, like, maybe he could do it another year, and it would be smart for the Indians to bring him back because I was with you. Dave DeLucci and Jason Michaels, wasn't. it, it just wasn't working out, and then they ended up doing it again the next year. David DeLucci, I, I, I don't remember much about him, like, other than – I think he was, like, okay with the Diamondbacks at one point. I think he was – was he there, like – with the Diamondbacks when they won the World Series in 2001 or something, but yeah, he was. He hit 276 there. Okay, so he was a solid outfielder, but like I don't remember. I don't remember him much about it as anything else. Like I'm sure he was probably like a a good dude. Like I'm sure I didn't hear anything bad about him, but I have to say like he was probably in my bottom five least favorite Indians of all time. And I, I have a story from 2008 where I'm standing on the left field porch, the home run porch at. at I think it was progressive field by 08, actually. Um, yeah, he, first he throws a batting practice ball like up to me and a buddy from at the, at the air before the game was starting or something. And he didn't get it over the wall in left field. Like it hit the railing and, and never made it up. And I remember thinking, <laughs> like, really? This is a major league player. And he couldn't loft a ball from like up at nine. I know it's 19 feet high, but like, you're right in front of it. You couldn't just loft it. Like you're a major league baseball player. I remember yeah. just thinking, and, and then he, he had to pick it up and then he threw it to somebody else. And he like got 
looked at us like why we didn't catch it. And I remember just thinking like, what an idiot. Like you couldn't, you couldn't make that throw as a major league ball player over a 19 foot wall. And then you had to go pick it up. And then you look at the audacity to look at us like, Oh, why didn't you catch that? And <laughs> on top of him just not being good for the Indians, I was like, yeah, he is not one of my favorite Indians of all time. He is in the bottom of the barrel among guys. I remember, like I said, he's probably a nice dude, but my memories of him with the Indians are, are not good ones at all. Well, that team, too, offensively, you just look at this team offensively, it's it's kind of amazing the type of run they did have be, you know, into the playoffs because, I mean, numbers-wise, they're just okay. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, like, like we talked about, I would take the 05 lineup over this 07 lineup. But the other thing, though, I think that we kind of forget is a lot of guys, young guys, contributed. I mean, Gutierrez, Shopik, um, you know, you had you had guys like that kind of step up Garco. I mean, you know, those were all young guys that came through the system and they stepped up. And I think that was like the big key factor too, um, you know, for the Indians and like, you know, their run obviously into the postseason. Yeah, this this offense to me, I looking back, like I remember them being better than they really were, you know, when we're, Yeah. Like watching the bug game was on STO the other night, and I'm thinking, yeah, man, they had size more. They had Bar or they had uh, Peralta, they had Blake, they had Hafner and Victor. And I'm like, this was a great offense. But you look back, and it's like, yeah, Victor and Garco were solid. Peralta didn't have a great year. Blake actually didn't have that great of a year. This was kind of the the year where Hafner started having some injury issues, even though he still had an okay year. And then Sizemore was obviously their best player, but like. Yeah, you're right. The the kids that that helped off the bench, the Gutierrez, as the the Cabreras, the Garcos, the Shopics, those guys played big roles because the lineup just wasn't as consistent as it was in 05. And even heck, even 06 was a better year because Hafner was a monster in 06, and um, they didn't have David Alucci playing 56 games in 06 either. Yeah, they, they there's another outfielder for sure. Yeah, and their I mean their bullpen was was decent, but I think I still would say I would take take that 05 bullpen too. I mean Joe Borowski was your closer. Yeah. Uh, I mean he Joe Blow, remember? Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, every year that was the nickname. It was everyone thought like, "Oh, Bob Wickman, you know, he, he'll give you a heart attack, but he'll get the job done." And and somehow Borowski had 45 saves, but like which is amazing considering he had I mean the guy, what, maybe topped out at 89 miles an hour? I mean, he did not throw hard whatsoever. I mean, obviously, you know, with a closer, you want some velocity, but, man, he just – it ended up translating the following season that he wasn't a very good closer. And he was all obviously getting up there in age too, but he just – he, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, never I never really thought – Joe Borowski was all that great. No, he was not. He he scared the living daylights out of me every time, and and he proved why. But that's the other thing too. I remember I remember thinking of when I was looking through this and putting some notes down. Like, yeah, they could have used another outfielder, but they really could have used another reliever because they relied heavily. Like Raphael Betancourt through seventy nine innings. Like, geez, that's a lot for. I mean, it was thirty two. Yeah. That's a lot of innings, especially going to October. Raphael Perez through sixty innings as a left handed reliever, and then they just had a bunch of other dudes that they couldn't rely on like Tom Massey was inconsistent. Aaron Foltz had a, a decent year, but he walked a lot of guys. He was just that 
one out lefty guy. And, and then they relied on Jensen Lewis to come up in the, from the farm system. And he was on, I don't think he was on the playoff roster, but he was like an extra and he had a good year, but like, you're just relying on all these random other dudes besides Betancourt and Perez like that. Their bullpen basically was Betancourt Perez. And then hopefully Borowski held it together. And to me, I was like, yeah, they probably should have traded for a reliever. Like if you didn't get anybody besides Kenny Lofton, okay, but, go out and get into the reliever and they obviously didn't. And that really hurt them because that, that ended up being the problem with them. And then in the ALCS with the Red Sox. Yeah. I mean, outside of the big acquisition of Kenny Lofton, I remember the other big guy that they acquired. Do you remember? Uh, no. Russell Brannion. Nope. Chris Gomez. That was, wait, he was actually, I didn't even, I did not. I looked through all these transactions. I literally combed through a transaction yep. each year. They traded for him at the de- like the deadline or something. I think he might have been a deal like after the after the waiver pe- like you know once the waiver period hit in August. Oh, but yeah, you know, he, he they got him from Baltimore, I think. Chris Gomez or yeah, Baltimore, yeah. And, and boy, that was like that was the other big pickup. Like okay, utility guy, great, but yeah. They selected him off waivers from Baltimore. So I think it comes down to the fact that Mark Shapiro, either the, the farm system was so bad that nobody wanted any of their guys, or Mark Shapiro was just deathly afraid of trading prospects. Like, was he so scarred by the Brandon Phillips thing that he was like, I'm never trading a prospect ever again. We're just going to, we're going to get Chris Gomez and we're going to get 40 year olds. And that's going to be our, our deadline acquisition. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of head scratching. I mean, the other thing too is I know you're like, you're, you know, with, with Chu, he's about a year away, but why not give it a try? Cause in 06, you had him play. Why is he um, up there? I mean, I he, think he had, I know, think he had Tommy John. That's why he didn't play that year. Did, was that when he had, yeah, Tommy cause John? he came back and played, he played the second 16. half of 08 and he was really good. Okay. I remember at some point he had Tommy John, but I couldn't remember when. Yeah, that really hurt not having him. You're right. He was there in 06, and he was pretty solid. Yeah, because, I mean, the following year he came in and, you know, it looked like Chu – I mean, obviously Chu ended up being a pretty good, decent pickup for, for the Indians. But, yeah, I mean, boy, that would have been nice if, if he hadn't been hurt at that point, you know. Or good he, Cliff Lee. He, he probably could have – Yeah. Yeah, and, they were, and the rotation was short, too. Like, Sabathia obviously won the Cy Young. We talked about Fausto, Roberto, Hernandez having a great breakout season. Paul Bird was, like, solid. Wasn't one of Westbrook's best years. He was okay. But the rotation really lacked, too. I think, I think the rotation kind of carried them a lot of the year, to be honest. But when it came mm-hmm. to the playoffs, I feel like that was another place where it was like, yeah, they were kind of, they were kind of short. Their pitching staff was just short overall. Like, it was it – was, CC, Fosto, and Paul Bird and Westbrook did a little did okay in the playoffs, and then it was Rafi left and Rafi right, and that was like the extent of the guys you used slash felt comfortable with in the playoffs. And to think Paul Bird was the third, the, the three guy in the postseason, like, can you imagine going into the postseason now with a guy like Paul Bird? <laughs> oh yeah topping out at like 89 i i mean i he was, i was watching highlights from it was like a a spanish broadcast of game five or no it was game four, game four of the alcs 
and they was that was the home game, right? Yeah, they won up three to one. I was at that game. Yeah, I was there too, and he was. I remember he was striking out David Ortiz with eight 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 mile an hour fastballs, and I'm like, how is this happening? Because that was the Dice K game, right? Dice K pitched that game. Yeah, and he he pitched him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember thinking, like, oh man, we ain't got a shot, and you know what? Paul Burns going against Dice K tonight. Like, yeah, right. And he was great. Like that, he outpitched him. Yeah. Yeah, they had a bunch of good hits that game, and from like Peralta, and I think Casey Blake had a nice night. Like, yeah, I was I couldn't believe it. And then yeah, I was at I was at the game. I was at game five, and Sabathia. Okay, actually, I wrote these down. So Sabathia pitched game five, six. No, he pitched Great. game five because that was it. That was at home. There was that weird, yeah, that weird thing where there was they had an off day between game four and five, even though they were both at home. I was like, I don't understand why there's an off day between two home games. Um, but he went six innings, gave three runs, and he was at about 100 pitches at that point. And Wed brought him back out for the, the seventh. And what happened? He gave up a double and a triple and, and ended up getting up the fourth run. And that cost him the game, even though Rafael Perez came in after that and kind of blew up. But Well, and that could have been the game – the game clincher right there too. Wasn't yeah, they were up three one at that point. Yeah, that could have been there yeah. could have been no there could have been no going back to Boston if they were just sealed the deal that game. Cause I remember leaving that game when Bird pitched and thinking, wow, we're up three one right now against the Red Sox and we're gonna go to the freaking World Series. And as we know that didn't pan out the way we thought. But what is it with three one leads, man? <laughs> I don't know. With the Indians especially, right? I mean geez. Yeah, and then Foster ended up six I, runs in, in game six. He was terrible. And then Westbrook Westbrook was solid in game seven. And, and Wedge didn't throw him out there in, in the seventh inning. I don't know why. I remember, like I said, it was at game five. And I remember thinking, you know, don't bring him out for the seventh. Like, CC had, you know, sidestepped a lot of damage. He had been okay. Game out, came out for the seventh and just he didn't have it. And then the rest of the bullpen fell apart. But the bullpen fell apart in game seven, too. Westbrook got them through six innings. They were down by one. And then Betancourt gave up seven runs in an inning and two thirds. And I'll go back to saying Betancourt threw 79 innings in the regular season. Do you think by game seven of the world series or the ALCS, he was probably gassed for sure. I mean, and that's kind of the the case too, where, you know, CC's pitching that game third time, third time around the lineup. They're kind of figuring him out at that point. I mean, you got to know when to yank him. And I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I had my issues with wedge and one of those were, were, were his bullpen management situations. Obviously we're very much, uh, you know, spoiled now with Tito and it's, it's, it's easy to look back at things, but man, it's just, just to think like, how, how did that team <laughs> just blow that? I mean, oh. You know, one one crazy thing, and I know it's not really pertaining to, like, the ALCS, but I remember the American League Division Series game. I remember, I think it was the first game, CC started it, and I remember going online. I was in high school at the time. I was online, and I found tickets wow. for $22. And I remember in class calling my dad. I'm like, hey, Dad, I found postseason tickets, 22 bucks a piece can we go? And he's like, yeah, let's get him." And we got him. and we went. And I remember we had to wait for someone to get in their car and leave uh, their parking space 
at the uh, Playhouse Square parking deck so we could park. And we missed the first pitch of the game because we were waiting to park. And we didn't show up and get in our seats until, like, the f- bottom of the second. I was so pissed. <laughs> so, but that's that's kind of a little tidbit about that that playoff run. I remember that. And then I remember going to, you know, that game when Paul Bird pitched uh, against the Red Sox in the ALCS. And I just remember that feeling of just, man, we're, we're going to go to the world series. Do you remember how that, how the weather was too during that postseason? It was like, it's October, but it felt like summer weather. Really warm. It was really warm. I remember wearing shorts to game five of the ALCS. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, well, the bug game, obviously. I mean, yeah, it's just, I remember all of that. Good memories, though, even though they turned out to not be <laughs> yeah. the, the result we wanted. Yeah. Yeah, it just – yeah, like you like you said, they're about three to one. You're going to your ace in game six or game five at home, and you're like, we have a chance to close this out at home with our ace on the mound up three to one. Like, that should have been it. And then they even had, you know, Fausto a second time around in game six. They're like, okay, if they have to go to game six, you have Carmona who – um it wasn't great in game two of the, of the ALCS, but he was obviously stupidly good in, in game two at home in the, against the Yankees. And he thought if he did that, he could do this. And then yeah. obviously going that, – that's where the – like you said, is he ever going to recover from the closing thing? I And now, now that I think about it, I remember this being a storyline. People talking about Carmona pitching in, in Fenway Park. That's because that's where he had all those blowups as a closer the year before. So I remember them saying, like, is that going to be an issue? And I remember thinking, well, that's stupid. That was a year ago. Now I'm like, I don't know. Was it? It'd be cur- I'd be curious to, like, look at his numbers in Fenway Park and, like, what they are at Fenway. Because that's obviously and a surprising experience for him. I'm sure it's probably not. You know, he probably doesn't have the best numbers at that park. Um, I mean, obviously that's probably not the easiest place to pitch anyway but yeah i remember thinking the same thing though just you know he's he's a new guy you know it's a new season and 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 you know uh he pitched game two of the division series and he was he was lights out obviously that that famous i guess for us uh bug game but man what could have been that's that's something that really just and the whole kenny lofton and Joel Skinner stopping. Oh yeah. I mean, what that that's another that's that's the one thing that everyone always talks about. You know, what what could have happened there too? Well, I guess it really wouldn't have mattered considering the fact that Betancourt came in and was obviously on his last uh, running on fumes and got destroyed. So they would have lost the game. Well, I forget what the final score was, but they scored two runs, I think, so maybe they would have scored a third run and then they would have gotten destroyed anyway. They got a 3-5 yeah, of the final three games. Yikes. That's, and once again, we talked about it, the offense, I think, kind of showed up there, where you know, we kind of thought the, you know, thinking back, we thought the offense was better than what it really was, and looking at it now, number-wise, you're like, wow, they, they weren't as good as we thought they were. No. No, I, I think really it was a case of the White Sox were really good in 05. They had some more experienced players than the Indians and the in- Indians inexperienced and not going out and like the Indians not giving them, you know, Shapiro not coming out and, and giving them a bat to go along with the rest of the guys that were coming in 
down the stretch. I think that really hurt. And then the White Sox weren't as good in 07. I think the Indians, I'm not saying the division was terrible. Maybe it was. I don't really recall how close it was, but I just, I think that the White Sox weren't as good in 07 and the Indians, you know, had guys that were more experienced. Obviously they found success from Carmona and CC won the Cy Young really finally became the ace that year. I just think they, I guess I, I think the 05 team was, was still way more talented and just was a bat short and maybe short on some experience, but the 07 team maybe just capitalized on the fact that they had some experience finally and the division maybe wasn't quite as good or they didn't have a, a team that was really pushing them as hard as the White Sox were in 05. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't remember the division in 07 really being, you know, lights out. I felt like it was like 07, they pretty much kind of had a comfortable lead throughout the season versus 05 where it was kind of a, an uphill battle. You know, they're, they're you know, because you got to remember too, that that's kind of when Minnesota was, you know, having their great little run too, where, and you know, that 05 era, mm-hmm. you know, Minnesota had, had pretty good teams. Um, obviously the White Sox ended up winning the world series in 05. I mean, yeah, 07, it kind of felt like it was, things kind of aligned right for the Indians in that division. Yeah, it really did. And they got off to a good start for the first time. And, and during the wedge stretch, like they were always, I remember they were always terrible in April under wedge. And even now, I guess they're not, I think it's just, it's hard to hit Cleveland and play in April and Cleveland, but they were 14 and eight that year. And obviously they, they had the snow. That was the year of the snow opener. You know, they, they, that was the snow out. Yeah. They took yeah. two or three from the white Sox on the road. They came home against the Mariners and Paul Berg was one out away, one strike away from a five-inning no-hitter, and then Mike Hargrove oh. comes out and and is like, we can't play on this anymore. Nobody can see. And finally, the umpire was like, all right, we got to call. And then I was at that game, and I remember coming home, and I'm like surprised I didn't have frostbite from sitting in snow all day. <laughs> I remember that. And we waited yeah. forever for them to restart the game. And they were like, 8 o'clock, they were like, all right, we're not restarting this game. Typical Hargrove. <laughs> he went from Mr. Uh, the human rain delay to the human snow delay. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't play an actual home game. Like they played the, the they played against the angels in, in um, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. And then they didn't play a final, like an actual game at the, at the recorded game at the stadium until the 13th of April, which is wild. Yeah. I remember they had to move it to Milwaukee. Yeah. It was, that was crazy. Yeah, fans, I think the tickets were like five bucks. Like I remember I remember people in Milwaukee saying like tickets were super cheap and they were going to charity and they had a pretty good crowd for the Angels and Indians playing in Milwaukee. But Milwaukee's a you know a really good sports city and they're generally a pretty good baseball city, I feel like. So that probably was a lot of fun. I would I would have a lot of fun if like some random two teams came to Cleveland and played a progressive field. I would go and just to yeah. for the odd, oddity of it and see some teams. Well, well, and the other thing, Milwaukee's pretty close to Chicago, and you got to think there's probably a lot of Cleveland transplants in Chicago that probably just made the trip up there and saw the game. Yeah, um, Milwaukee, Milwaukee in general, though it's a good it's a good city, but it's a it's a it's a good ballpark too. I don't know if you've ever been to. Well, it's not Miller Park anymore, but <laughs> I don't know if you've ever made it there. And it's if you ever do, you should go. It's it's a it's a really nice ballpark. Yeah, I've heard it's good. My uh, I've had friends that have gone there too, and obviously you just said it was really good. I'm hoping to get there. Probably next year. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? Uh, we were saying earlier, who did the Indians uh, trade for? The Indians signed 
this is an oddity I found. They signed Russell Brannion on August 7th. Don't know why. And then two days later, they sold him to Philadelphia. <laughs> See? Like, that, once again, that's what Brannion's, like, third stint with, with the Indians? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, after they – no, I think that was the second because they the couple of years ago, they before that, they traded him for Broussard. So that was the second. And I think he came back in, like, 2012 to play for the Clippers in the – playoffs like he never even came up and then yeah yeah so i and i thought for sure i thought for sure 08 was the year i thought like okay i did they had their experience they got close and then they went out and they signed masa kobayashi this reliever from japan that everyone was talking up Oh, I do remember that thinking, all right, we got we got the closer. We got right. it. We got a we got a reliever. Yeah. Nope. Ron Kobayashi. They might as well have signed, signed the hot dog dude. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Cause this guy was this yeah, this guy's numbers were inflated in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They signed Jamie Carroll, and Jamie Carroll was like a, a nice little player. Like he was solid. Like obviously he didn't have a major impact, but he was a a good utility dude. They signed Jorge Julio. That's another guy. I was like, oh, cool. We have another. Because we were just saying, like, how the how the bullpen came up short in 07. They mm-hmm. signed Kobayashi and Jorge Julio. And Jorge Julio was like a experienced closer from Baltimore. And you thought, okay, this kind of gives them the help in the bullpen they needed. And then they also signed Scott Ellerton for the third time. Don't know why. He never, never really pitched for them that year either. But they went back to that well. And. Well, this is the year Jensen Lewis ended up becoming the closer, right? It was, yeah. It was him and Tom Mastney who, like, had a couple saves each. Uh, I don't know what what the fascination was with Tom Mastney and the Indians. They really liked I him, mean, yeah. Oh, no, he was terrible that year. I'm sorry. He, they, they threw him in 20 games, but he was pretty terrible. I think they figured out that year he wasn't very good. Well, the one thing I remember about 08 is opening day. Do you remember who started opening day in 08? It was Sabathia, and he got torched. They they barely won. No, it was Scott Lewis. Was wait, Scott Lewis didn't start opening day? I think you're thinking 09, because I was at the home. Are you talking about like the season opener, or the home opener? Wasn't it home opener? Scott Lewis pitched 08 no, against the Blue Jays. That was 09 because I I was at the home was it 09? 08. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah right. Sabathia bad right. April in 08. And that really helped them. That really crushed them. And that's why they, they traded him because they got off to a bad start because he was bad in April. And I remember Joe Borowski, they were up like 10 to 7 or whatever. And Borowski had like two runs in the ninth inning and they, they barely held on to win. I do remember that now. Yeah. Because after that opening day start by Scott Lewis, he never pitched again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He yeah, there was a there was like a rain delay or something in 09. He pitched like five innings. He was really good, and then he hurt, hurt his elbow. There's there's video of me somewhere on the internet, somewhere of uh, someone who went to opening day with me in 08, and I was screaming into his phone after after Joe Borowski like snuck by the skin of his teeth to save that game. This is our year. This is it. This is a good start. Like this is our year and. Yeah, I was a really smart baseball fan, obviously, in 2008. I thought for sure that was after our after. Okay, Randy Quaid. Yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> man, that was such a brutal year. Yeah, they got that, that bad start, and then man, they were shut out 13 times that year, and that was well, uh, think, the year Hafner and Victor I, Martinez got hurt. Well, and that that was a big thing too. Is Hafner obviously getting hurt? Martinez getting hurt? 
But I also think that was the year too when they did start out. They lost the bullpen. I mean, how many blown? I think they had several blown games where the bullpen just let them down. Uh, you know, there was a lot of like one run games where it, it wasn't decided, obviously, in their favor. And obviously, those types of games they hurt big time too. Um, what's the old saying? You can, you know, you can't win a division in, in April, but you can certainly lose it. And they did. And, yeah, and that was definitely the case. Yeah, they, they sucked in April, and and not only that, but like you saw, like the hangover, the the postseason hangover, and all those innings pitched by Betancourt, he was terrible in 08 because of how much they abused his arm the year before. Well, and they got to five hundred. I'm I just looked it up. They got to five hundred May eighteenth, but after that, they never. They never were ever able to reach back up to 500. You know what I forgot, too, that hurt them? This is the year that Jake Westbrook got hurt and had to have Tommy John. Yes. I forgot. Yeah. That was a big blow for them, too. Obviously, Carmona was not as good as he was a year earlier, too. But, yeah, that's right. He was uh, losing Westbrook ended up being a really big blow to them. Well, I mean, really, the starting pitching, I mean, obviously, Sabathia, he wasn't Cy Young Sabathia, but – it really felt like that year the only pitcher they had was Cliff Lee, and obviously he ended up winning that. He ended up winning the Cy Young, and that was the best season of his career. But yeah, I just remember thinking like it just didn't feel like the Indians' pitching was there like it was the year before. And then you know, obviously Sabathia gets traded at the deadline. They ended up reaching back to five hundred at the very end of the season, but it was just it was such a lost year like it just it was a disappointing year it wasn't a year that you know any of us expected obviously and i just remember thinking the same thing like you know bullpen wasn't bad last year we added some pieces you know and yeah it just it was bad that's that's kind of the year too where um you mentioned you know hafner that's the decline that's like when it started happening you know grady you could even argue maybe Grady was starting to decline at that point too. Like if you look at his numbers and you compare it, but I I also think it might have been just a product of like what the lineup was around him as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, and also a lot of the younger guys who contributed the year, year before, such as, you know, Garco and Francisco and, and, and Gutierrez and all those guys, they didn't really replicate, what they did the year before because now they're playing in a larger sample size versus the sample size that they had the year before, uh, you know, specifically Gutierrez. I remember Gutierrez being a big contributor in 07, at least it felt like it. And in 08, he just really wasn't the guy. I mean, you know, Shopik, he had a solid year. <laughs> he stepped up in place of, of, of uh, Victor Martinez, but yeah. The guys. Yeah. But if you think about it, that 08 year kind of set the table for this run now for, for the Indians, because, you know, in 08, you trade Casey Blake for Carlos Santana. You, you trade uh, CC obviously for, well, the big piece, obviously, as we all know, was Matt Laporta, but you ended up getting <laughs> lucky as all heck with Michael Brantley being the throw-in guy because the Brewers made the playoffs. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. I wrote that down. I was going to, I knew you would have known that. Like I knew, Oh, we weren't yeah. going to have to debate this, but I, I, I don't think everybody realizes you can, you you brought it up so you can finish it off. But I don't think, I don't think a lot of people realize why they ended up with Michael Brantley. Yeah. The deal was if you, if the, if the 
Brewers made the playoffs, it was Michael Brantley. If the Brewers did not make the playoffs, it was Nick Green. Thank Taylor God it Green. Nick Green. Or Taylor Green, that's right. Taylor Green. It, thank God it wasn't him because I think he ended up playing like a season or two in the in the big leagues and it wasn't much of anything. Um, as you know, Matt Laporta was the key piece in that deal, but Matt, man, whatever. What what happened to Matt Laporta? Like, I remember thinking like, he's he's a top prospect. You know, he, he you know he's got all this acclaim. He's coming from a good college program. This and that, and he just he his bat was slow. I mean, he just he didn't live up to the hype. And the the guys that they got, the starting pitchers, they never really stood out to me even when they they got him but i remember it was zach jackson right and what was the other guy rob brenson was rob it? bryson yeah zach jackson and rob bryson. bryson yes i don't even think bryson played in the majors jackson pitched a little bit but i don't think bryson ever even reached was there somebody else was there another arm in that trade that didn't make it either mm, i thought it was just four guys you could be right i could be either making that up i know they they drafted one of the guys I was thinking of, but maybe that wasn't those maybe, guys. Maybe, maybe we're thinking, maybe you're kind of thinking of Cliff Lee too. Cause I know there's a ton of, you know, obviously you got Hap and, um, uh, not Hap, Nap, Nap and, um, Carrasco, yeah. Carrasco, and then you got Donaldson. And, <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was, it was just, uh, Bryson and Jackson. You're right. With Laporte and Brantley. Yeah, no, I don't think a lot of people realize that was the stipulation. I, I know other people have talked about it, but like, I think at large, people would be surprised to realize how they wound up with Michael Brantley and how different that trade could have been. T- Taylor Green is actually now a, I want to say he's a scout for the Brewers. He tore both of his ACLs. Okay. He was a third baseman, yeah. Yeah, and Matt Laporta owns a pizza chain in Florida. I think he's a real, I think he's a real estate guy too or something. Yeah, he's he's totally out of baseball. I know that. Oh man, yeah, that trade did not go down well. The foresight, though, to like think like, you know, I just whoever scouted Michael Brantley, kudos to them because, I mean, that's that's like you know, I was watching. You remember the old Prime Nines on MLB Network? I was watching uh, the greatest throw-in players of all time, and Ryan Sandberg was obviously one of them. And I was just thinking, like, you know. Michael Brantley might be one of the greatest throw-in players of all time for the Indians. Him and 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 uh, Jan Gomes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just that's it's it's fascinating how how that ended up playing out. They, I mean, that Michael Brantley kind of vindicated Shapiro for that deal. Yeah, at least they they pushed for him to to be a part of that deal. I guess that was like a really big sticking point. They were going to get Laporta, and then. It came down to one of those two guys, and boy, are they lucky that the Brewers were so willing to push. Like, didn't Sabathia pitch like on three days rest a couple times on the stretch? Just to get he was a work. Yeah, he was a workhorse for them. I mean, and if he doesn't do that, they don't get in the playoffs. And the Indians don't get Brantley. Oh yeah, they definitely don't get in the playoffs if he doesn't do any of that. So, you know, kudos to to CC too. I mean. He was eleven and two, with the one point six five ERA with Milwaukee and seventeen starts. Wow! And he only pitched. He only pitched what August and September there basically, and then the end maybe the end of July. Yeah, he got traded. Uh, I want to say like the tail end of July, like it was July seventh. So okay, it was early in July. Um, but 
So they got July, August, and September. And they didn't go deep into the postseason, though. I thought they just made it to the – I think he was out of gas himself, to be honest. Did they, they just made it to the division series, and that was it. Yeah. They, I don't think they went any farther than that. But they faced off with Philly, and Philly ended up winning the World Series. That was, and Philly, in their own right, were, were a buzzsaw team you know, that year. Yeah, really. They had that, that great rotation, too, because they, no, they didn't pick up Cliff Lee until next year. You're right. But they had Howard and Utley and Rollins, and they had that nice little core there with Victorino and all those guys. Roy Holiday, yeah. Yeah, well, Roy Holiday wasn't even on that team, I don't think, at that point. I think they're seriously, they're yeah. Cole Hamels was the was like their only pitcher. Them and uh, him and Brett Myers, I think. <laughs> Brett Myers. Oh, that we can go to some stories about Brett Myers, who was not. Yeah, who would always have? Who would always have his guitar at his. Uh, at his locker, but he never picked it up. He was like that guy in um, in college who, you know, would always carry the guitar around but never play it, or he would try to tune it and, you know, play a little bit and then stop and, you know, it doesn't sound right, you know, that kind of guy. <laughs> he, he, uh, he did put an album out a couple years ago. All right, who's got the better album, him or Ben Broussard? Oh, I'm going Ben Broussard just because I think Ben Broussard <laughs> was a good person. <laughs> Okay. All right. Right. I'm I'm gonna fess up to this. I actually downloaded back in the day a few of Ben Broussard's songs, and they weren't that bad. Okay. And I'm really in the music, but it was kind of country, but it wasn't too bad. I don't know if he's still doing the, the the music thing, but he wasn't he wasn't all that bad. He would have been a perfect person for uh, the '90s teams when they would do that. What, what was the Tribe concert they would call him? Where oh, Omar Tribe Jam. Yeah. Tribe Jam. Yeah. He would have been a perfect person for that. <laughs> that's that's a great tie-in to this whole thing. Like you were talking about, like Broussard would have been good there, but yeah, I feel like this this stretch of baseball for the Indians, they didn't really have a ton of personalities. Like who who stuck out the most? Like Grady Sizemore was a quiet star, but you know you had Omar and and playing with uh, you know some guitarist who toured with Kiss and all these other bands, and you had. Um, you know, Albert Bell destroying thermoses and thermo or thermos thermostats and you had Kenny Lofton and you had Tommy and you had all those guys that were kind of personalities. Like who who were the personalities from this team? I feel like they just they didn't really have maybe that's why this this era goes untalked about. You know, they obviously like you said they were they were a disappointment because they didn't do a lot with the talent they had, but like Grady Simon was a quiet star. CeCe Sedanti wasn't really too. big. Yeah, Victor maybe. Hafner, you could argue, was kind of quiet in his own right as well. I mean, CC. when I think of those 07 teams, or 07, 05, you know, those 2000s teams, I think of CC. I think of, of of Grady, and I think of, you know, Hafner, obviously, Victor, but, like, none of them really have a, I don't know, they don't stand out to me like they do, like, a Kenny Lofton or an Omar Vizquel. And maybe that's just because, you know, we were young in the 90s, and, you know, we were – they seemed like they were larger than life in the nineties because, you know, when you're younger, everything's so amplified, but to me, they don't even stand out in, 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 a, in a sense of like Francisco Lindor right now, or, or Jose Ramirez, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, they're out, outgoing guys that aren't afraid to talk. Well, I mean, Jose needs a translator, but he still talks, but they, they just have personalities that you can see on camera. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like there's personality there versus, 
you know, res- that 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 era of 05 and 06 and 07 and 08, you know, they 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 were just guys, yeah. The, the most you heard about Sizemore off the field was the teacup incident. Like that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Besides how good he was as a player, the most you heard about him other than that was was that whole weird thing and other than that, so there's no other guys. To, to go back to your question as to who was in the rotation for the uh, for the Phillies in 08, Cole Hamels, Jamie Moyer, Brock uh, Meyer, Kyle Kendrick, Adam Eaton. A 45-year-old Jamie Moyer, 16-7 and seven with a 3.71 ERA. He uh, his, his FIP kind of argues his ERA here, but yeah, I mean, you know, but Jamie Moyer was the guy that had that rubber arm, you know, he, he was an innings eater. So seven years after he basically single-handedly took down the end of the Indians nineties run. Cause I remember in one, he killed them in the playoffs. He did. And yeah, that was seven years before this, that he pretty much ended the Indians nineties dynasty. And here he is in 08 pitching 190 innings at age 45 for the Phillies. Oh, and he went deeper in. I mean, he went a few more years after that. I think I just looked it up. He retired in 2012 at the age of 49 with the Rockies. Jeez. That's insane. Wow. Well, hey, I mean, Manny Ramirez is trying to make a comeback in Taiwan this year. So why Didn't not? Did he try that before? I mean, <laughs> I yeah, he, he got like an offer from, from like the White Sox and he came back or something and and then he tested positive for steroids. It was a uh, a birth control to try to regulate his testosterone, and he never came back after that. Yeah, I remember him playing with the Rays last, and that was that was about it. Yeah. It was like maybe it was like maybe a, a dozen games, and that was it for before him. he tested positive. Yeah, I, I, he probably never even needed steroids to be honest. That's the sad thing about Manny is I really don't think he needed steroids. Probably the sweetest swing I ever saw. From the right hand side, for sure. Yeah, dude could hit. Yeah. Like, didn't matter. I mean, he was just such a. I mean, even he was a personality. He was just a, a yeah. different person. But yeah, they were all just part of that for sure. Uh, oh, the Indians did draft Chisenhall in 08. That was, and they drafted Roberto Perez. So this whole, like you said, the 08, the trades in 08 ended up setting up what's going yeah, on for the Indians now. And it really did. They did draft draft Chisenhall. Because 2009 and Perez, yeah, it was even worse. <laughs> and then you end up trading Cliff Lee that year. You end up trading Victor that year, and then it nets you Justin Masterson and Carlos Carrasco, and um, you know you go from there. I mean, obviously Justin Masterson was kind of in the beginning of that run for the Indians, but yeah, yeah, I just couldn't stay healthy or. They were in, and that was their thing too. After 13, they were inconsistent in 14 and 50. It's the same thing, but they figured it out after. I don't know. That's a weird thing. Like Mike Hargrove was a great, uh, the players liked him. I guess he managed a good a clubhouse of crazy dudes. Um, but like Eric Wedge and Manny Acta, like you have, have them sandwiched in between Hargrove, who was regarded as a, a well liked manager, and Francona, who is too. And then you have these guys like Wedge and Acta who just don't quite compare. And I'm like, what happened in those? That, that's my biggest takeaway is I really don't think, well, they didn't give him as enough to work with. I think like the teams had talent, but they, they like, Oh five, they clearly needed another hitter and Oh seven. They clearly needed another hitter and another reliever. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't, I really don't have good memories of wedge, even though I really I remember always those complaining. Me and my friends always complaining how he literally would never bunt. Now it's funny because everybody's so anti bunting now, but back <laughs> in the day, you know, just to move a runner over or try to manufacture a run wedge was anti bunting to the, to the max, I swear. And it used to just drive me nuts. I would be screaming at the TV, like, just bunt, move the guy over. Like, and he would not do it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Wedge. And it's funny, Wedge followed the footsteps of Hargrove and going over to Seattle and failed miserably, just like Hargrove did in Seattle. And yeah, I mean, he, I, yeah. So I did. I did forget Charlie Manuel was between two, two seasons, uh, Hargrove and three seasons, Wedge. Right? Oh one, it was yeah, two thousand, two thousand one, yeah. and two thousand two. Right? Half a half a two thousand two before they gave it to Skinner. Yeah, I remember thinking that was a stupid move to fire Manuel because Manuel wanted like a contract extension, or he was like done and Shapiro well, and like, I felt yeah, like that was more. kind of just Shapiro not wanting you know wanting his guy. You know, that wasn't his guy. That was Hart's guy. And yep. um, he wanted to make his own stamp. And sometimes, as you know, general managers kind of – that kind of gets in the way because obviously in retrospect that was a dumb move because, you know, Manuel ended up leading the Phillies, ironically, who we were just talking about in 08 to, to a World Series. And he's obviously well-regarded in Philly. But, yeah, I mean – Do you do – you, did you hear – I think this came out a couple of years after, or maybe it came out the year they won. Do you remember the quote that Manuel had after I they don't. won the World Series? It was a it was a quote about I don't remember I don't know the quote off the top of my head you know verbatim, but I remember him saying, "You tell Mark Shapiro that Charlie Manuel won a World Series." It was something to that effect. And I'm like, yeah, it was a dumb move to to fire him, and then obviously Manuel felt wronged, and he ended up being right that he was the right manager for the job and i don't say i want to say wedge did a bad job but i guess but i don't think he was a very yeah. good manager in the end i think it was i i remember people saying like he had the clubhouse wound very tight like i don't think the players really enjoyed playing for him but we also weren't as connected to the those teams as we were as we are now like obviously now we know what goes on because of you know twitter and other digital media but I, I do remember hearing like maybe that he wasn't the best manager to play for, but we didn't get a lot of look into that because sure. we yeah. didn't have the well, access we I, have now. I also wonder too, does Manuel make it through 03 and 04 to, to get to 05 if he does stay? Like, are they patient with him and, and have him, you know, manage a young team like Wedge did? Because I think the, the, the thinking was too, you know, this was a system guy. Obviously Manuel was too, but this was a system guy. He, came up with these players these players know him that sort of thing young guy as well might be more relatable i i i don't know obviously we'll never know because we can't go back and see how things would change you know would be changed but yeah it to me to me it just eric wedge just he didn't really ever stand out to me as like the guy you know what i mean like i wasn't upset when he was let go. <laughs> like, I felt like it was time for him to go once. Oh, nine. Yeah. I think it was oh nine, right? He got let go and, and, and 
It was for Manny Acta, yeah. It was that way I was at was, was it oh eight? No, I think Acta was the I think Acta was the manager in 09. So I think it yeah. was after 08 Wedge was out. 10, 11, no, maybe 12, right. maybe I it was. Acta. 11, 11 right. and 12 was definitely. did make a throw 12, nine. I know for sure it was Acta because the first game I ever covered was in 12. And it was the day Acta. I covered a game when Acta was still there. And the next game I covered, Acta was gone and Alomar was the manager. And then that's when they also got rid of the uh, pitching coach too. I think so, and it was Scott uh, Ruben uh, Niebla that ended up becoming like the interim pitching coach, which now he is like co-pitching coach mm-hmm. now. But yeah, um, I remember that it was, it, and and Alomar picked up like his first win of that game. I think it was Oakland. They played Oakland, and and uh, Chris Chris Sendon, I think pitched. Yeah, pitched that game. Chris Sendon. Oh man. We swore we weren't going to talk about these years, so we are. I remember that game. Yeah, first <laughs> first game. I got to cover it with TJ Zuppi. Shout out, TJ. But, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, those were those were interesting no, years, not good years. It was kind of a case where, like, they were kind of a surprise, too, in the beginning. And that was, like. Is Drupal Cabrera had like a crazy first half. I remember we were talking about potential MVP for Cabrera, and then like just <laughs> boy, you talk about like a downward spiral in July, and then I think he ended up finishing the year hitting barely like two seventy, and that was another year where Travis Halfman yeah. was hurt, Grady was hurt again complaining about why the Dolans spend money on these guys and they don't produce, they're always hurt, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Yeah. That and really was, did hurt them was, a lot for sure. That, that was the opposite too. That was, remember they always got off to a slow start with wedge. And then I feel like they always got off to a they, quick start really with Acta did. and then they always faded. 11 and 12 kind of mirror each other. I think in the beginning, at least of, of, of the seasons where they both got off to like a hot start. Cause I remember thinking like there's no chance in heck this team is going to be anything in 11 and opening day they got killed by the white Sox. i remember and then it was like a different story and that was when the bullpen mafia years kicked in and that you could oh yeah 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 you could just not for any of whatever little success they did have it was because the bullpen carried them for quite a bit of quite a bit of time in the season and then they just kind of classic case of bullpen being overworked and started to fail them and that just shows you right there you need starting pitching to carry you throughout the season and you just rely on your bullpen to carry you and Mm. that's kind of what happened in those in those two years yeah that's how i remember too just how big of an impact the bullpen can have or or i remember really thinking like a bullpen can hide can cover up for a bad team for quite a while. Like you can, you can appear to be better than you are if you have a good bullpen, but it won't, it won't yeah. play out I mean, that way over the that, whole season. That's kind of when like the ascension of like, you know, Jason Kipnis came in, Lonnie came in, Cody Allen came in, um, you know, Kluber. I remember watching Kluber pitch. I think I was at the other game. The other game I covered was Kluber and thinking like, this is, this guy is not the guy. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> you know, he's another guy that we got in a trade, and he's not going to really amount to much. And boy, was I wrong because he ended up 
being a two-time Cy Young Award winner, but yeah. <laughs> to be fair, to, to bring this whole thing full circle, I was listening to our TV Talk podcast from WCIP before we started this, and we talked about Kluber. This was this was like April 2013, and we talked about someone going on the, the DL, calling up Kluber to start, and we were both like, well, now they got to have Kluber in the rotation in addition to Ubaldo being bad, and we're like, that's not a good combination to have to have, like, Corey Kluber and then a ball and that was the year in 250 or rotation. How was that? No, he was he was solid in 12, and obviously, or he was solid in 13, and then yeah, I mean, yeah he won the Cy Young in 14, but he was, he was good in 13. In 13, yeah, yeah, when you could see he was just more than a, a guy, we're like, oh, who's this guy? But he ended up being like a guy who was yeah. like, you know. And like your third, it could have been your third starter. And then he had that like finger injury at the end of the year, but give up for him. Oh yeah, no Ryan Jake Ludwick, Westbrook. yeah. Ugh. Oh, that was so Jake Westbrook. Ludwig, I thought Ludwig, Ludwig went to the Padres, and at that point, like he he had obviously played for the Indians, but he wasn't on the Indians at that point. They tr- it was a three team deal, if you remember, and and obviously that's right, Ludwig at some point played for the Indians, but you know, that that's what got me into that trade tree and going so deep. And it went as it went all the way back to Bud Black. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize or to Alex Sanchez and Alex Sanchez who never played really to Willie Blair and then Willie Blair, obviously to Kenny Lofton, Kenny Lofton, the justice justice, the Jake Westbrook. Yeah. You skipped Eddie Tobinsey for Lofton there. Yeah, because Willie Blair and Eddie Tobinsey were yeah. were two players for Lofton. Um, yeah, that's insane. So <laughs> it's been yeah, fun, man. This is fun. If you you know if you ever need me again, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, I got some time on my hands, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We all do, don't we? So thanks again for Chris Kuhn, formerly of WKNR and and my college friend from WZIP and the University of Akron for joining me to talk about the uh, early to mid-2000s Indians. Hope you really enjoyed that look back. I know we kind of got off topic or diverted or kind of rambled, but we both had a lot of these memories because, you know, this stretch of baseball, we were both teenagers and watched a lot of Indians baseball and it was like I said it was that stretch of baseball tuck between the 90s and uh, the kind of the current area if you just kind of keep that memory of the 2009 and 2012 terrible Indians out of your memory Uh, but this was kind of a stretch of baseball where there were some expectations and some good moments but a lot of disappointments so hope you enjoyed listening in and, and thanks again for Chris for joining me uh, really enjoyed catching up with him and, and talking baseball. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. So everybody uh, stay safe. Thanks for listening and be on the lookout for the next episode of Smoke Signals. Thanks.